Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat. My name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts. And if you follow along with the show, you know I've been traveling a fair bit throughout my life. Today, I'm in Los Angeles, so it's actually only 5.30 here, and I'm so excited to be chatting with you from here. One of my favorite things about this, this life and this journey and, and this ability as a martial artist to move forward through life one foot at a time in different directions is my travel and to be able to hang and chat with you and my senseis uh, from all the different places I get to go. So I'm really happy to be chatting with you from LA tonight. And we're here with our guest sensei, Ron Fagan. And I just want to ask you out of the gate, sensei, as far as your competition fighting goes, how did you hone your karate into being something that then would meet those requirements for something more full contact, more maybe sportive? I, I think, uh, you know, I, I probably, my, I came from an athletic background. My, my father, my brothers, my, my, my father's in the sports hall of fame down here for baseball and hockey. My older sister's in for paddling. So we came from an athletic family to start with. I was probably the, 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 the black sheep of the family of things to do, you know, and, and, uh, but I had an athletic ability and I, to this day, I mean, I'd be surprised as hell as I, I have no idea where it came from. Like, I really don't, but I had an innate uh, fight science. I knew right out of the gate. I remember, uh, you know, being a yellow belt you know, three or four months in and uh, and the sensei, you know, just throwing guys at me left, right, and center. So there was no fear there. There was probably very little technique, but there was no fear. So, you know, I think it probably was built on that. And uh, realizing that it was a game, uh, to me, that's what it was. It was a game. It was a game of tag. It was a rough game of tag but it was still a game of tag. So, you know, if you think about it, you know, I started in 73, uh, you know, five years later, I'm on the Canadian national team and I'm fighting in the world championships and I'm fighting people that knew what they were doing. You know what I mean? Knew what they were doing. I, 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 in, in hindsight, I don't think I knew what a reverse punch was. Uh, mm -hmm. Looking back, I remember fighting in the Pan American Karate Championships and making it to the finals. I scored every point with a front kick. You know, uh, so where, where the hell did that come from? So you know? really early on in your karate training, there was never really a separation between classical martial arts or kata and actually just hitting guys on the no, daily. No, actually not. You know, when I was, uh, you know, way back in the day, 73, well before MMA was, was even in the alphabet, we used to, we used to meet in a, in a little church hall in Thorburn, which is like, you know, if they put a hose in Pictou County, an enema, that's where they put the hose. And uh, <laughs> there was, there was, there wasn't a whole, but we used to meet down there. There was probably three or four dojos that were involved in, in there at the time. And we go down there and we bang, you know, we, it was full contact. We never had gear. We would just go in and, and when they called them the chicken fights. And to me, it was just a way to hone your kind of craft. And uh, to me, I didn't realize that it was, it was any different you know, in competition, because I was doing the chicken fights before I went into my first competition, which got me in a lot of trouble because I remember going into my first competition. I remember going in against the, and the, uh, to this day, I remember the guy's name was John, John Smith. <laughs> there's, a, there's a stretch. And uh, I remember, you know, having just being overwhelmed by, you know, referees and people watching and there was a ring and it was professional and, you know, all, all these Neanderthal guys I was hanging around with the training, we all showed up. The guy came in and just, I remember to this day, threw this just beautiful, beautiful back fist. Oh, didn't make contact. Just a beautiful, beautiful point. And they, they stopped the match and, you know, they gave him half a point. My pea brain said, well, if you get a half a point for coming close, what do you, what do you get when you crack them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's exactly what happened. 
That poor bastard came in, thought it was a game of tag. I grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, and I must have hit him three or four good cracks in the head. You know, there are people trying to pull you apart. Now, what are you doing? And I'm, yes, it's over. You know, oh, there's rules. You know, and that's how far back that was. You know, and uh, so it, yeah, I don't know what happened to John Smith, but I apologize, John, if you're still around and you're listening. Ah. <laughs> you know? So uh, anyway, that that was it, and then. Uh, you know, when I, I, I started working and my uncle owned a, uh, I got out of high school. Um, I tried a real job. My father was the regional supervisor for the liquor commission, tried a real job that didn't work out um, too structured for me. So I had an uncle that ran an Irish bar. So at 18 years of age, I started working in an Irish bar. And uh, <laughs> then you got to hone your craft. Um, I'm not sure if you can all hear me right now. I'm, I'm down in a hotel and I rebooted the vid. Um, so hear you. we can hear you. Okay, great. We might need to team up on this one a little bit, but sensei, so I want to ask you, and, and then we'll go around the horn on this sure. with the idea that you're starting out maybe too rough and not understanding yeah. technique or yeah. actual rules of the game. Even how important is it to have been rough at first and how important was the eventual discovery of maybe a better, cleaner, more precise way? I, I, I can't say I would want that for my students. To tell you the truth, I, 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 I don't think I would want that for them, but um, I played the cards that I was dealt. Um, right. my, my, my appreciation for the technical aspect of Kumite didn't come until I started to actually uh, compete in kata. Because back at that time, I, I wouldn't compete in kata. I just couldn't understand. I think we lost somebody. No, he's still there. He's just doing okay. it. I, I, I just couldn't understand why people could, could get excited about fighting an, an imaginary opponent. <laughs> just like, what is wrong with these people? They seem to be excited about fighting an imaginary opponent. Let's, you know. So it wasn't until, uh, you know, I, I remember going into a tournament and I remember placing fourth in, in Kata and I was saying, you know, I didn't really work at this stuff. Maybe if I work at it, I can, you know, go home with two, two medals. And the more I practice Kata, the more I started to understand it and started to get into the minutiae of the kata, the, the better my fighting became. And, uh, you know, because I started understanding balance, I started understanding focus, I started understanding how my body was supposed to move. And, and that was a, a direct result from, from kind of discovering kata late in my career. Like I was probably a blue or a brown belt, maybe, you know, before I started actually getting a hold of cut and say, you know, this is, and no one's trying to hurt me, <laughs> you know? So it, it definitely was the transition from understanding cut and getting better at cut that, that gave me the insight and to become a better, a better fighter, better Kumite, you know? So. And, and you really wouldn't wish that roughness on your students. No, eh? no, no, absolutely not. It's, it's, you know, I, I, it's, it's unfortunate, not unfortunate, but when I'm talking to, to anybody, whether I'm teaching, no matter where I'm teaching, most people have a general idea about my background. So they know if that I'm talking about multiple attacks, they know that I've been there. They know if, you know, you're talking about, you know, the fear factor of being shot at or stabbed or, you know, they know that I'm, I'm talking about from experience. But that doesn't make you a good chronica by any stretch of the imagination. I always tell everybody, you guys are so much better at this and so much, you know, really good hearted, good karate people. You don't have to be a banger to, to be good at what, what we do. And, uh, you know, I always say I broke my arm so you don't have to, mm. you know, and uh, no, I, I don't think, I don't think it's a, it's a, 
No, I absolutely don't think that, that that's something that's going to make someone a better, better karate, a better martial arts, or you know what, a better person. Just not going to happen, no. Uh, but that's the hand that I was dealt. That's the hand, the, the way that I went. Um, so I honed it and I and hopefully learned my lesson. It just took me a little bit longer. I always tell everybody I've done everything I wanted to do in my life uh, at least once and everything I didn't want to do four times. <laughs> um, right on. So we're going to go around the horn on that. So I'm going to start with you, Sensei Dauphin, then you, Sensei Suino, and then you, Sensei Legacy. Is, um, just talking about, you know, things being tougher when you started and finding the precision through kata and whether you'd want your students to have it the way you started. I, I didn't start the same way as Sensei Fagan or Sensei Legacy. I had a good teacher from the start. Um, and it was, uh, it was still rough. I don't want to say it wasn't rough, but I had a teacher who was making it rough and then they were controlling how rough it was going to be, which is still more rough probably than most dojos, but um, so yeah, when I when I went to my first tournament as a yellow belt, I was already pretty prepared because I had been training for a year in a dojo with an instructor who was a black belt and teaching me. Um, and it was also expressed to me the importance of kata by my teacher. It was so I just don't think I'm I didn't have to have that upbringing. Thank goodness I didn't have to have that upbringing. But I still say that in our dojo, like. I still say the toughest fights I have are within the confines of Legacy Shurner, the walls of Legacy Shurner. That's where the toughest fights have happened and do happen for me personally. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I absolutely get it. I, I'm sure that most of you guys, I've been tagged more by lower ranks and hurt by yellow belt it has absolutely no, you know, oh, oh, Christ, what are you doing? But <laughs> being in the groin, since I'm so, oh, Jesus, and you're getting poked in the eye. You know, whereas in uh, maybe in a different in a different environment, uh, I've never had a problem. But uh, you know, I, I agree with you 100. The the, the the hardest fights for me have always been in competition, not uh, not not Friday night at Bonnie Viper. <laughs> what about you, Sensei? <laughs> you know, where where do you go with uh, how it started and and mm -hmm. how you know technique made the toughness tougher? And would you want your students the way it was for you in the 60s? No. Oh. <laughs> well, I've told you before, you know, I grew up in, in a racially mixed neighborhood and every, every race hated the other ones and we all fought and it just depends on who lined up with who on that day. So, um, but I'm happy to say my last sort of street fight was in my sophomore year of high school. And after that, people got a little more civilized. Um, I don't think I appreciated the relationship between kata and, and you know, uh, organized martial arts fighting uh, until I spent time in Japan when I was working on the judo kata, right, which are paired, uh, you know, throwing kata, my fighting judo was better than it's ever been. Uh, and that's kind of cool because I wasn't doing anything to try to bridge the two. I was just training my ass off in judo kata and training my ass off in free practice. And the harder I did one, the better I got at the other. And yeah. I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure I can explain that to this day. Well, it's a symbiotic relationship, no question about it. We, we, we just gotta be smart enough to sit back and go, that's what the hell happened. You know, the, it, that, that epiphany doesn't come overnight. It's kind of a slow draw, man. And then, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we just got to be smart enough to recognize it. And, and then, and hopefully not, our students don't make the same mistakes, you know. Hanchi Legacy, where do you go with the idea of, you know, how tough it was, how karate made it tougher, actually, but maybe more precise? And would you want your students getting what you got? I'd say, yeah. Uh... 
I was I wasn't quite as tough as um, Sensei Fagan there, but I I lived in a in Sarnia, and um, things were a little bit rough there for me. Um, but when I moved to London and got into a karate club, there were good fighters in there. Yeah. And I sort of thought, well, you know, if I get in a fight with one of these guys, I it may be a rough go. So I, I started to learn how they did it. But I, uh, there was a guy in there by the name of John Pearson and also Jack Dunham and a bunch of other persons, Bob Fulkert. And those guys weren't quite as um, rough material as I was, but they were better technicians. So yeah. I, I sort of leaned on them to, um, it was a bit rough for me at the beginning, but I sort of leaned on them and then it escalated from both sides. And they made me a better fighter just by way of just, I don't know if it's ego or what it is, but nobody wants to be a beat man, right? Or, yeah. or person. So um, I started fighting every day with John Pearson and, and those guys. Uh, I would say, yeah, I, 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 would, I would like to see my students see what they have to face. Mm. I was already what they had to face. And um, I wanted to be a better fighter. Just you know, I, I have to qualify something before we go any further. I'm not a tough guy. Never have been, never, never considered myself a tough guy. You know, you get some, uh, some, some lady out there raising two or three kids on her own. That's tough. Uh, getting through life one-on-one. I've never, you know, and I'm, I'm absolutely, uh, I've never considered myself a tough guy. Never have, you know, I can, I know tough guys. Like and and I, and I don't I don't deserve to be lumped in that with them. I mean these guys are bone tough. I I I was lucky. I was lucky. I don't consider myself a tough guy by any stretch of the imagination. And I remember one time uh, a guy walked into a pub where I was working, and I mean you know he had the look. You know what I mean? He just it, I mean he had a face that looked like it was on fire, and they put it out with a nice pick. It, 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 he, he had he had the look. And I remember talking about, I said, Jesus, that, that guy's got the absolutely the look. The guy sitting with me says, you know what? Guys like that don't bother me. I said, why would you say that? And he said, because he looks like that because he's lost. He said, guys like you terrify me. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. So maybe I ran with that a little bit. But tough guy, no, nah, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. Anyway, no, sorry, I didn't mean to interject there, guys. No, it's all good. That's where we are. And by the way, I really do apologize for those watching in real time. My video's jumping all over, and I'm just glad you can hear me. And for the people uh, listening on the podcast, it won't be a problem. Um, but if it ever gets too confusing, we'll we'll pop someone else to ask most of the questions. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke Chat. Like I said, I'm Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts. And every week, I'm so honored to be here with my senseis. And, you know, I was thinking about it. And Sensei Sweeno, pardon me, you won't be a part of this, but I am in Los Angeles. And Sensei Dolphin, Sensei Legacy, I could literally hit a golf ball to what's no longer a gym, but was the gym that we went to at around 1 a.m. when we just geared up, taped our pads on for about an hour and a half, two hours. And for those of you who haven't heard this story, you know, the... uh, the gym's a 24-hour gym down here in LA, and the techno music was actually, it sounded the way my jumping video looks right now, sort of, <laughs> and we just sparred for an hour and a half, two hours, and it's one of my favorite fight nights of my life, 
And I just want to say to you too, what a pleasure it is. And to be here literally uh, almost 20 years later in the exact same block uh, and working out at the gym right next door on the heavy bags while I'm down here. I just really love the time we get to put in over, over this, you know, and I said to Sensei Dauphin, I never would have got to LA with the success that got me here if it weren't for karate. Uh, and I never would have got home without the life-saving uh, spirit that I got from karate. So I'm really grateful to be a part of this club and I'm really grateful to have you too as my teachers. And um, I just want to say thanks. And obviously Sensei Suino, thanks to you for everything since. Um, Sensei Dauphin. Yes. You're leaving out the part where we chased the yoga guy out of the, because <laughs> some guy was trying to do yoga as we were taping our equipment on Sensei Legacy said, tell that guy you might want to leave. And he told me he was going to be fine until we started fighting. And then Sensei Legacy, I was fighting with him and he started to laugh. He goes, look at the guy. And he was like up against the wall with his yoga mat, trying to slide to the door without getting killed. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's my honor tonight to uh, introduce Sensei Ron Fagan. Uh, Sensei Fagan is a student of the late great uh, Master B. Soroka Sensei, who's the father of Canadian karate. We all consider him to be the father of Canadian karate. Uh, Sensei Fagan is also the chief technical director of the Inter International Karate Alliance. He's an eighth then. Uh, we already just talked about this a little bit, but he was the very first Atlantic Canadian to compete in the Pan American Karate Championships. Um, we'll probably get into this, but he's an innovator. Uh, and he'll be able to tell you in a little while about his IBST program, which I think is very innovative, that IBST program. Uh, again, a seeker. We say that about people seeking martial arts, and we often kind of, we think we're part of it. I've never had to seek martial arts the way that um, the people before us had to. And on the East Coast of Canada, if Still, when you go to the east coast of Canada, it's not like being in Ontario around Toronto, right? You can drive still out there and not see people. So yep. finding a karate instructor out there was, if not impossible, it was impossible. Um, yeah. So he was, he was a seeker and he had to find this. Uh, and I found it really interesting that when he tested for his shodan with uh, Sensei Hagasha, Shane Hagasha, he, he actually turned it down. And one of the reasons why he turned it down was because he said nobody was coming in his dojo to tell him what to do when he was there. I really like that. I respect that. Um, I like the fact that, you know, these are some sound bites. He trains people to be teachers, not just black belts. He wants them to be teachers. Um, he's friends with some of our friends, people like Sensei Maledsky, uh, who's on the call now. Um, he also knows Hanchi Maloney really well. We've had both of those guests on here. Um, and another thing he talked about uh, when I was listening to another podcast was that um, karate is a lifestyle and it's not a sport. And that makes a big difference when uh, you have to compete. It's better to be living a lifestyle than just be a competitor. Um, he said he's not a tough guy, but if you want to email him and you want to look at his email address, <laughs> the acronym is it's YR.GTNIT right? And if you, you're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you what the second half of his email is because I don't want you bugging him. There um, are a couple more uh, sound bites for you about Sensei Fagan. What does he bring to the table when he was asked that question? He said enthusiasm. When somebody asked him about his loyalty to his instructor, he said, I have a loyalty below. My loyalty is to my students. He says, he wants to, 
his driving goal was never to be a world champion or a black belt. He just wanted to be the best teacher he could be. At a wedding once, he had to give somebody some behavioral modification. <laughs> underneath his, one of his first dojos was underneath the Hells Angels bar in Halifax. And when people teach him things, he likes to reverse engineer them to figure them out. Setsu Fagans, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. I'm happy to do that introduction. And I'm really excited. This time is going to fly. I know it. Well, you know what? Thank you. It, it's, uh, but everything you said is, is, you know, it's one thing. It's not just words. I live it. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure, uh, you know, people ask you, do you still train? And I got, you, and the, my, my stock answers are, do you still breathe? Uh, you know, it's not, it's not what I do. It, it, it's who I am. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lifestyle. It, there's no, for me, there's, there's just, there's nothing else. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm lucky um, to be able to do what I love to do. And I've been doing it for over 50 years, you know, and um, I've just met some of the best people. Well, my brother said to me one time, you know, you only hang around with those karate assholes. Why is that? And I said, well, let me tell you, first of all, they're all, first of all, just really, really good people. Mm. And they're positive people. The, the fact that they practice karate or a former martial art, that's secondary. They're just great people. And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, being blessed to being able to travel the world and being able to do that, you know, and having a job that allowed me to travel, the job that allowed me to teach, to absorb as much as I possibly could. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure the same thing happens to you guys. And they're saying, you know, what keeps it fresh? Well, for me, I'm still a student. I'll always be a student. Like, I'll never not be a student. When it's time and you're not a student, shut the box. Nail it down, throw the dirt. I'm done. But uh, I'm not ready. You can see Sense of Legacy smiling because Sense of Legacy has uh, a saying, the best title you'll ever have in your martial arts career is student. Because that's, yeah. that's the title that's going to get you all the other ones. He's right. He's not, you're not going to get any blowback from me on that one. That's for sure. So, and, you know, you were talking about uh, earlier about, you know, finding things on the East Coast, uh, you know, not to get into to, too much detail. But, I mean, uh, when I first started, and, and I don't want, I, you know, I, I, I'd rather talk about what we're doing now, not in, in the, sort of the past. But I, I don't know anybody else or maybe there are out there um you know the dojo that i first went to there was 174 people the first night three months later there was 15 so the attrition rate was, was fairly high um it was a brown belt that was starting the dojo and after about three months um you know we started to see he was coming in he might have you could smell booze and he wasn't into it make a long story short uh you know myself and another orange belt talk about heaven stones we got together and said, we love this shit. Like we were really enjoying it. We're having fun. Let's keep going before this guy ruins it. So here, two long haired, skinny little, you know, no brains go to this guy's house and tell him we're done. We're going to start this dojo on our own. We're, we're not going to take, you know, him coming in, being drunk and abusing people because everybody had gone. There was only like three people left. We wanted to keep it going. And uh, we contacted a, a, a senior in Halifax because I was in Pictou County at the time. And, uh, you know, and that's what you started. Uh, could you imagine today two orange belts saying, hey, let's start a dozo. And 50 <laughs> years later, still going. 
you know, I mean, it was just, it, it was a different time. He couldn't do it, but you know what? We got together. We, we, the only thing we could do is train with what we knew. We couldn't do anything new. We didn't know anything. And, um, you know, you just, you, you read about martial art places and you, you, you hitchhike, you, you talked, you, you trained with people, you looked, you watched, you took every, you watched movies and, and just built. And so when you think about a dojo and that dojo, Northumberland Karate is still running today. I was there, I did a seminar there last Saturday. That's Saturday, amazing. you know, over 50 years and, and it's still going strong and a massive, you know, a, it's crazy. It's crazy. When I tell people we started a dojo at Orange Belt, they go, I bet it was just, ooh. <laughs> That's it. Let's back up just a little before then. So what I always like to ask our guests is, you know, yeah. what was life like before you entered your first dojo and what brought you into that first dojo? Well, I was, uh, you know, we came from an athletic family. My, my father was a phenomenal ball player, phenomenal, phenomenal hockey player. The old guys down around, uh, you know, Atlanta Canada always said, you know, they, when they, when they asked me, my, my dad, they said, you know, if your dad hadn't got married, he'd, he'd gone to the NHL. He was that, that talented. And uh, so, you know, but my, my two sports up to that point were lacrosse. Um, I loved lacrosse. I loved the contact. I liked the running, but, uh, and I played some football a halfback in, in hindsight. Um, it was because I wanted to hide. I was, I was beyond shy. I didn't do a lot of talking till I was probably 14. Um, and when you're shy, it's debilitating. It's absolutely debilitating. I never went to birthday parties. I never, I was pretty insular. And, uh, um, you know, so I think the idea of playing lacrosse and playing football was I could put a helmet on and I could hide. Nobody knew who I was or, you know, so I didn't have to talk. There was no, no verbiage going on in lacrosse or in football. So I had the ability to, to be athletic and hide under a helmet, you know? And uh, uh, it was my mom actually, um, who's 94, still alive. Um, I was in Halifax. I came back home to visit up in Stellarton. And she said, you know, there's one of them great things starting. <laughs> what? She said, you know, maybe that's something you might like to try. This this karate stuff, it's supposed to start. We, I mean, of course, nobody knew what the hell was going on. So, you know, I walked down. Um, I looked at it. I watched what they did the first night. It was only their second night there. Um, I ran the three miles back home. I asked my mom for $20 um, because $20 got you three months of training in one of them suits. Now, I didn't give a shit about the training, but I wanted one of them suits. <laughs> shit. <laughs> that suit was badass back then you know and uh that so that, that's that's how that's how it started you know and i remember too was putting my putting my suit back then was like five bucks i carried it in a kit bag till i got my yellow belt once i got my yellow belt the kit bag went i tied that baby up i needed people to know i was a killer from hell after uh uh, Fagan, I got a kid in here who is so excited because he got his karate sweater. That's what he called it. So excited that I got my karate sweater. Uh, <laughs> um, no, you never take the out of it. Sensei Fagan, what was it? You know, we love going back with our guests. Like, can you put yourself there and go, man, I was this kid and I walked in. Like, what was it that made you go, I'm here for life or, or at least I'm here for a week? Well, I think, <laughs> yeah, that, that was probably it. Uh, you know, I, I, 
I knew I, I, I can't, I can't put my finger on one thing. Like, because you, you figured 174 people crammed down on two floors of a, of a, an IOF hall. Um, you know, you weren't, you didn't see Kumite, you didn't see Kata. You just saw all these people going around and stretching and doing the exercise. So there wasn't one thing that I saw that went, Whoa, that would be cool to do. Um, I think it was part of the fact that I was, you know, really shy that I said maybe I could be a part of this mm. so it wasn't it, it wasn't I don't think probably the karate itself it was just wanting to belong uh than anything else and then uh, you know uh, just the discipline to, of it and and uh, uh that's that's what that's what I liked and I I remember the first time that I owned up to a mistake mm. uh because, you know, being a kid, you know, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. And uh, I farted in the dojo one night. <laughs> and, and bad. I'm talking people died. It was a good <laughs> and, and And I remember the, the sensei going like, you know, who was it? <laughs> I mean, every day in school, you, you know, you never took credit for it. I mean, and I remember going, it was me. Because I thought in karate, you, you had to tell the truth. You had to, you know, that's part of this stuff, which might not have been the thing to do at the time, because <laughs> I remember laying on my back with my leg raised up six inches while the rest of the class ran laps over ah. me. And you were allowed to actually step on me to do it. So if there was any gas left, I apparently, that's how they got rid of it. They stood on you. Now you can imagine doing that today. Someone dropping one on your back. Let's go, boys. Jumping jacks on him. But the point being was that that's the first time I owned up. It's the first time as a kid I, I said, yeah, that was me. I knew I was going to be in trouble, but I didn't care because I thought that's 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 karate. This, this is this discipline. This is this martial art thing. You're supposed to do that. You know, and uh, that to me was the starting point. So, you know, like later on, I can tell you my career was highlighted by, by uh, you know, a don't air fart. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just want to share with you, Sensei Fagan, when uh, when I started karate with Hanchi Legacy, after three years, I moved away and he said, go train with Sensei Dauphin. When he became my teacher, he just said, listen, if you're honest with me, the karate will take care of itself. That's the first lesson he gave me. Wow. And, uh, I wasn't great at it at first. It took a sec. Like, I mean, a decade. But we got there. And yeah. the crop has taken care of itself. Well, I'll tell you the hardest thing I had to do from a physical point of view, you know, being, a, you know, thinking that I was athletic, but uh, I, because you're lacrosse, you're, you're up, you're cradling the ball and your shoulders are always up. You don't keep your shoulders down too, too often when you're playing lacrosse. And, uh, you know, the first time working with, uh, you know, Tsuroka sensei or higher ranks, they're saying your shoulders are up. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they are. No, they're not. Yeah. Oh, Christ, they are. No. And uh, that was the hardest thing. That was one of the hardest things physically for me to be able to do was to drop my shoulders because, you know, playing lacrosse and loving lacrosse, uh, you know, that was one of the hardest things we had to do. Uh, Sensei Legacy, I just saw your Tim Horton mug there. I just want to share my mug with you. All right. Can you see that? <laughs> I well, just. Let's just, let's, we're being truthful, right? All right. Here we go. <laughs> well, so let's, let's pop around the horn on this real quick. We don't need to live here, but let's start with you, Hanchi Legacy. How important is honesty 
in the martial arts? We haven't discussed this ever. If we have, it's been tangential. Um, it's part of the material of karate to be able to own up to something and say that you're not capable of something in order to make yourself better. And yes, you have to be honest mainly with yourself so that you can start to grow. You know, if you, you believe you're a good fighter and so you don't go to a martial arts dojo. So, you know, you're just really fooling yourself. The last thing I'd like to say to follow up on Sensi Fagans is that uh, when I listen to him, they're all familiar things from when I joined karate. We really had no information on it, right? A yellow belt was like something. A black belt or a second dan was amazing. Now every kid or every young person across any country because of uh, you know TV, et cetera, they're more familiar with martial arts. So they, they have a little bit less awe about it mm. and more expectations because of people like Bruce Lee in the movies who, uh, let's face it, I mean, Bruce Lee was a great martial artist, but he paid uh, guys to lose, right? So yeah. it would be more fantastic. So it's a, bit of, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a change in martial artists joining today. They expect to be able to come in and um, be black belts in three weeks. Whereas when we came in, we were in awe of a yellow belt. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That, that, there was no other belt than the one that you were looking for. Yeah, that's you right. Know? And and I, I'm, I'm with you since like 100%. We just had no idea, you know, but we, we knew that if we put the work in, you might be able to go up a belt, you know, and you had to put the work in. And but you, you remember too is that it, there was no media like you, you were in on the East Coast. You were lucky if you could find a black belt magazine. You know, there wasn't those magazines. There was nothing. You certainly weren't going on the internet. There was nothing in the Encyclopedia Britannica about it. You know? So there was absolutely no. I used to tell. That, that you know karate martial arts back then it was a gentle art of bullshit because no one <laughs> no one nobody could call you on anything it was always this mysterious stuff that was like there you couldn't you know i'm a black belt really yeah because it's like there <laughs> nobody you couldn't call anybody on it you know whereas today someone says yeah i did this yeah let me google that brother <laughs> <laughs> you know so anyway, sorry, go ahead. What, what, what do you think, Sensei? So we know where, where does honesty fit in the martial arts? And like, was there the gentle art of bullshit back when you started as well before the online? Yeah, there was. But, you know, I stepped into a big judo club. Uh, and so I was surrounded by people that knew what they were, knew more about what they were doing than I did. They had a whole culture. So I didn't have much of that. I didn't have as much of the, uh, you know, uh, wandering into the desert without any guidance. You know, we had Black Belt Magazine and and you know, a lot of people that knew, but uh, I like what Hanchi said, you know, um, honesty is critical for your own uh, evaluation of how good you are. Um, but it's also important as a personality characteristic. I was just having this conversation with somebody, um, you know, somebody comes into my dojo and says, oh, I'm not bound down to another man. I not only want you to bow, I need to know you're sincere when you do it. Right. It's part and parcel. It, honesty runs from it, from from your elbows to your asshole in martial arts. And if it's missing, I'm not training you. Yeah. 
And it's beauty. It, it, it's great that we can get to that point that we can be that uh, that selective. You know, to be that selective. But I'm with you. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of being honest. I remember years ago, and you, you won't have problem with me coming up with stories. I remember standing in my dojo, and I was up to the front of the class, and two guys, gentlemen, came in. There was, um, and one of the gentlemen who was obviously a senior, stood back, and his his student walked over the floor with his shoes on. And, and said, excuse me, uh, you're the head guy here? And I said, I, I am. And he said, well, my, my, my teacher would like to talk to you. And I remember turning around saying, well, you go back and you tell your student, your teacher, that if he hasn't got enough jam to train his student to take his shoes off when he enters somebody else's dojo and have proper manners, he probably has nothing I want to hear. <laughs> Scoot on back. And have a little go, away you go. Learn some manners, come on back. They never did, they never came back. But that's to me was, that was the honesty of it. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. do, you, do I really have anything in common with you to even talk to you about when you send a student on the floor without approaching yourself and not taking enough shoes off? You know, when you go away, you're representing, like for me um, and for my students, when they leave, they're representing me uh, what we believe in, my city, my province, my country, that's some heavy shit to put on someone's shoulders. But not if you believe. Not if you believe. If you've got that honesty, then you, you, you take that to heart. You're representing more than just you. You know? Man. We're, we're going to go to Sensei Dolphin, but I want to crack that open. Believe what? what, what what's the thing to believe in? Who's answering that one? I'm asking that one for you, Sensei, and then we're going to oh, finish sorry, go ahead. down. No, that's okay. I, I like the swig of coffee. I thought you were doing it for a fact. Nah. Now, if I was drinking more of that, I'd have to leave for a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> leave for greater effect. Yeah, uh, for the greater good, really. Yeah. Yeah, we're no, I love what you said. I love about that representing. I love about that. So what is, what is, it, what is the core that's being believed in? Well, I think the, the, the whole value system of what we do, the tribe, you know, it's the value system. Like, it's not the style. It's that, you know, it's the, it's the guy that's training beside you. To me, it's, uh, you know, and I've tried to install that into my students. It's not about the building you're in. It's not even about the style that you're in. It's about the guy that's training beside you and you're working together and it's, you know, that's, it's, I'm a huge believer in tribes. I, you know, I, I love the idea of tribes. Um, I've got a phenomenal tribe down here. Your friends will tell you what you want to hear. Your tribe will tell you what you need to hear. You know, and that's the belief that we all sort of believe in each other. We all try to lean on each other as much as we can. So what I'm at, you're asking me what I believe in. I like that human obligation. Love that. Love that. Sensei Dolfan, going back to the question, um, how important is honesty in the martial arts? And, uh, you know, again, we started a little later, but is there some dishonesty that was around when you started that's gone away a bit because the internet? Yeah, I don't know about that. Like I do, there was no internet. Obviously, all of us are older than the internet and we've been in karate a lot longer than the internet was around. Um, But again, so I didn't need the internet. I had a teacher. He was a trustworthy person. He told me the truth about things that happen. I know them to be the truth because 
history has demonstrated that. I've talked to people who are present for various things that he's talked about, and they always tell me the exact same things that he did. So if you don't trust the teacher that you have, then you need to go find another teacher. Like, because if your teacher's not honest, like you should go somewhere else. And if you're a student and you're not honest with your teacher, you're not going to get good training and you're not going to form a really good relationship with them because you'll be always hiding something from them that they should be helping you with. Like they should be helping you with the things that you're struggling with. And if you're dishonest and you're hiding those things or then that's not good. That's my take on it. And then the other thing is, I think that the better you get at martial arts, the more honest you get to be in life. Because if people don't like it, that's their fucking problem. <laughs> yeah. right? I can be as honest as I want to be when I'm walking around with people who are not martial artists, because what are they going to do about it when I'm honest about it? Right. Yeah. And I don't mean rude. I want to be clear. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm talking about just being, you know, this is my opinion or this is what I think. And, that's it. You can do that when you're a martial artist. That's my take on it. Thanks, Sensei. I appreciate that. Um, so, Sensei Fagan, let's go. Let's go back to your time. You're you're a yellow belt, and you basically need to take over a dojo and start competing. Talk us through that time. That time, well, like I said, we we um, you know we we were doing some kumite inside the dojo, but I mean, really, you know, it was tag, 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 and then uh, you know once. Once I started to uh, realize that there, there was more out there, you know, and, and uh, you know, so then going from this little tiny church hall with a bunch of us doing our thing, joining, joining the provincial body, the Nova Scotia Karate Association, all of a sudden now you're seeing, oh, my God, this is your first time you're seeing like a lot of black belts in one room. And, uh, you know, going to going to competitions and being part of an organization that sent out you know, invitations to come to seminars and it opened, it opened the doors for us to be able to, to, to see these other things and, and go. And, you know, if you, you know, at the time being an orange belt or green belt, I was the highest ranking inside the dojo, you know? So I was going away to tournaments, not so much as to compete, but to learn to bring back. One of the things that, that I I had this conversation this afternoon, um, believe it or not, is that when someone, approaches me about a technique i don't care what style it is or technique they said oh have you ever seen this before my brain automatically automatically doesn't go to oh i'd like to learn that my brain goes automatically how could i teach that you know and as a teacher i i I, that that was instilled in me way back in the early 70s so you know i mean i took notebooks i went to tournaments um and I sat there and I took notes and I watched people and I was in awe of what they were doing, but I would write down, I wouldn't even write their technique down because I didn't know what the hell it was, but I wrote everything down so that I could go back to my dojo and say, okay, I was, you know, in Northern New Brunswick and I saw them doing this. That's really cool. And then we'd, we'd, we'd work on that, yeah. you know, that, that's what we would do. And, uh, you know, you went to tournaments and you, and you went there to, to learn not to compete, not to win medals. For me, it, it was about being exposed to other things and looking at those other things and figuring out how the hell I can bring those back. How can I bring those back? So why was that so important for you? Where'd you get that from? Where, where'd that teaching above all else, you know, even what Sensei read at the uh, your intro, you train people to be teachers, not black belts. What, 
why was that so important to you? And what has that given you? Well, even to this day, I, I have a mandate, uh, three mandates, actually, for me, uh, you know, after all this time. One, I want all of my students to be better than I was at that belt level, which mm. is not hard because I probably sucked. Um, uh, the next thing is I never let anything go. If I pass somebody and I see something technically incorrect, I will never go, oh, yeah, I'll catch that on the next rotation. I stop right there and I get it. Uh, and the last thing and one of the most important mandates for me is that I train everybody to be a future teacher, not as a student. If you teach someone to be that you want them to be a teacher, then your teaching becomes much more in depth. It becomes much more minutia because you want them to know if they're going to pass this on, you want them to pass on the right thing. So to me, I train people and I still train people as a future teacher, not as a student. And then you'll teach them the whys and the hows become self-evident. So, you know, back in the day, like I said, way back in the 70s, um, that's what I would do is I would go to tournaments and I, I went to tournaments not so much to compete, but to bring it back to the dojo and share that. You know, and I was lucky enough in my career to to work my way up to be on the, the, uh, the Referee Council of Canada. Um, you know, and they were the ones who adjudicated the rules, who wrote the rules. So uh, being the first one east of Montreal to be um, unanimously selected to be on the Referee Council of Canada, um, every time I went to an international com competition or, or a referee seminar, the next weekend I set up a seminar for the referees in Nova Scotia so that they would be as current as they could be on what was happening. So it was not about what I was doing. It was about what I could bring back. And... Uh, and that's just the sharing aspect of it, I guess. I, it, you know, nothing, you know. And, and what about the gap between the time you learn it and the time you teach it? You're obviously like, who gives a shit? Let's just jump in. Uh, sh should there be more time or should you just pass it on as soon as you get it? No, no. What you do is, is if you pass it on as soon as you get it, then it, it's a shadow of what you're doing. So what you're doing is you're just, you're not, you're just regurgitating what you heard. And that not necessarily getting under the skin of it, or as I said earlier, the minutiae, you know, so we've been huge down here. Um, I could sit here for the next four hours and tell you about the advancements that we've done and some of the ways that we look at that, that martial arts and the things that we've done to bring things out and to understand it better. And, uh, you know, you have to re you have to reverse engineer it. and to reverse engineer, you got to tear it apart. You're going to get rid of it. And then start, okay, let me, let's talk about foot position. Let's talk about knee position. How does that affect your quads? Your quads detected to your hips. How is that going? That's how we built everything. Uh, and, and very quickly, while I've got the thought in my head, because shit goes in and out fast with me. Um, <laughs> I remember saying to Soroka Sensei one time, I said, I wonder how much better technically I could have been had I been under your tutelage, you know, 100% as opposed to seeing them like once every six months or, or you know, maybe once or twice a year. And, uh, you know, he looks at me and, and if you guys have never known when he was serious, he used to pull his glasses down and look over the top of his glasses at you. You know, he, and when the glasses came down, it was either going to be good or bad. And he <laughs> looked at me and he said, you wouldn't have been. I'm not going to do the accent, but, uh, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't have been. He said, because you guys have had to fight for everything that you've gotten down there. You've had to, I know what you do. You take it apart, you pull it apart and you keep going. He said, whereas the people here in Ontario, in, not in Ontario, but in his dojo, he said they were baby birds. P, 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 P. 
They would just open up their mouth and he would drop the worm in. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to train hard. It was given to them. So he said, for in my point of view, I think that's one of the reasons why we got along so well. He said, no one gave you anything. You had to figure it out. And yeah. then, you know, I still do it. I still share with the student. I still say, tell me what you think. How does that make you feel? How, what, what do you think before I'll, I'll come up with an answer? I want to know what they're thinking. I want to know what their brain, where their brain's going. And then together, we'll work it out. So I want to throw that question just to Hanchi Legacy and then come back to you for one. Um, Hanchi Legacy, you know, if I'm not mistaken, Harold Warden used to do something similar. We'd learn from Benny Allen and come right back and give it to you guys like that night. Um, what do you think of that way of teaching and how much time should someone have before they pass something on? I agree completely with Sexy Fagan. Uh, martial arts, I tell my students, I can stand here and tell you stuff or I can lead you to understanding. Mm. The point is that every single individual has to discover martial arts just like Matsumura did, or you don't keyword, you don't understand it. So if I just there and I give you all the answers and you can go out in the public and do all the talk, but you don't understand it, uh, it's never gonna, uh, it's never going to allow you to understand its secrets, we'll say, or its purpose, etc. So uh, I agree. Everything must be rediscovered by every single karateka or judoka, whatever it is. Thanks, Hanchi. Um, and, and talking about innovating and, and being at the, at the teaching forefront, talk a little bit about your IBST program. Okay, well, you know what? I, I'll tell you, the, the IBSD program is just one of, uh, but I'm, I'm passionate about it. Like I said, I've been practicing for 50 years in the last uh, eight to 10 years. It, it, I'm telling you, guys, it's just, it's reinvigorated. I cannot wait to get into class. I can't wait to get in there to do it again. I can't wait. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a sickness, boys. <laughs> it's a sickness. <laughs> I, you know, uh, and basically what happened and I, I what happened about nine years ago I had a gentleman that was training with me by the name of Jim Beaton his kids trained with me big bastard you know you're, you're talking 6'4", 280 uh, and, and just as a just as a, as a sidebar guys I'm five nine and 200 pounds I'm the smallest guy in our dojo I'm the smallest me. so anyway make a long story short he was having trouble he had some stenosis in his back and we were doing some kicking drills and, 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 you know, I was looking at this poor guy and he was suffering. You could see it. He just, he loved what he was doing, but physically he just couldn't do it anymore. Um, so uh, I, I, I had a bit of an idea. I remember asking him, I said, listen, I need you to come over to the house on Saturday. I got an idea. So I, I that was like on a Wednesday or news night. What I did was um, I decided that it's up to me to modify the training to keep people training. If you stick with, this is the only way to do it, then you've lost an entire demographic. Every one of you gentlemen, as you sit there now, know at least 10 people, at least 10, who don't train any longer because it might've been a knee problem, a shoulder problem, a hip problem. Life just got in the way, it could be a mental problem. And they don't train anymore, but they love the martial arts, they love what they did, but life got in the way. So nine years ago, I picked, I cherry picked six guys in the dojo, all older guys, 
And what I did is said, I said, I want you to come over to the dojo. I got an idea. So they came over to the house that Saturday and we talked. And uh, in the meantime, I had gone out and I got t-shirts made. IBST. So I had this little header crest, but I had IBST underneath it. And I said, I want you, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have wide idea. We're going to have a dojo within a dojo. So we're going to train traditionally, do whatever we have to do, but I'm going to start another class inside the dojo that I want you gentlemen to join. And what we're going to do, and I gave them all a t-shirt. I said, I want your gi tops off. I want the belts off. We're going to start all over again. And I don't care what rank you were. Doesn't matter to me. We're going back to square one. And I gave them t-shirts and the IBST stood for injured, but still training. Mm. So we all had, first of all, that you want to build a camaraderie. You want to have them all, doesn't matter what belt level you were, we're all going to, we're in this together. And with the IBST, I started training nine years ago. And what I did is I modified all the traditional karate that we were doing. So I got rid of sidekicks as bipeds, sidekicks are, are not natural and they're, they're harmful. So what I did was I replaced long front stance with a walking stance. I replaced back stance, the 70-30 weight ratio from back stance to flat cat, 50-50. I replaced kibidach with yoi. So all stances went to 50-50. So we brought all the stances up. So that's what we did from the stance work. So from now on, boys and girls, there's not gonna be any strength and bracing stances. All of those stances that are, are, that are gonna be hard on your knees, we're getting rid of them. We're gonna just come up and we're gonna to go to 50-50. So the next part, everything else was the same. Like the, the hand techniques and everything were the same. I got rid of certain kicks that I knew that were detrimental to the human body, what they would do long range effect, how they would hurt. Then I, what I did is I, I went through, I started going through the kata. So, uh, and I revamped all of the Shotokan kata, all of them. And I took out the sidekicks. I replaced the lower stances with higher stances. And then what I did, that was the, the, the crutch of what we were doing. But then I went to each individual and we talked about the physical, physical ramifications of what was hard on them. Okay, I can't, my shoulder's done. Okay, let's get rid of that. So the karate was built for each individual person in the IBST class. So that they continue. I was sitting in the friggin' tub one time, and I and I I said to the my wife at the time, I said, "Get me a piece of paper, quick, write this down." Because I had it, it, it just blasted me eight almost nine years ago, and I said, "It's the adaptation of traditional karate for continued training, regardless of age, physical or mental impairment." That's going to be our mandate. That's what we're going to do. And that's what we did. So we developed a, uh, a training methodology. We did a, um, uh, so after two years, I said, okay, now let's put together, uh, let's put together a training syllabus, a, a grading syllabus using this methodology. But in the meantime, in the two year frame of the IBST, I heard one night in the training room, one of the young guys goes, Jesus, I love what those guys are doing. I wish I was older. <laughs> and then I heard another guy say, yeah, but you got to be broken too to get in there. And I said to myself, you know what? I, I, I put a stigma on it. I did it. I made a mistake here. I put injured, but still training. This is not about being injured. So what I did is I went back, went through the, what I thought would be a uh, 
the right phrasing. So I use the word Kaizen, and I know most of you understand the concept of Kaizen. I mean, it was brought back here by Lee Iacocca uh, from, with the Chrysler Company. Uh, you know, the idea of being able to continue, not just continue with you doing, continue development, continue movement. So I called it the Kaizen Project. And then I said, put your geese back on. Now what we're going to do, everything we're going to be doing is going to be the Kaizen Project. So I could have Six people coming down the middle will say you're doing a kata and there's a maigeri. There's a front kick involved there. So instead of doing the maigeri, they may just turn and just do the hand technique and not the kick at all and continue with the kata. Some people might be flexible enough to throw a knee instead of a maigeri. And others who can't pick their leg up and all they do is they bring their right knee across the other one and jam a kick. So it becomes defensive instead of offensive. But when you look at it and you walk in, you're going to go, they're doing Hianidan. They're doing a Shotokan. It just looks a little different. Well, yeah, it looks different because he's 72 years old. He's had two knee replacements and look how smooth he is. So in the Kaizen project, we've replaced strength and bracing with your ability to uh, transition. So you'll hear me say constantly, it's about transitions. It's transitions, it's transitions. How to move from this stance to that stance, how to apply the hand techniques. So forget about strength, forget about bracing. Let's talk about transitions. I'm telling you guys, I'm the smallest son of a bitch in this dojo. I got guys that down here that are 6'4", 320 pounds. What the fuck are you doing here? Get a baseball bat, walk down the street. No one is going to bug you, I can guarantee it. But these guys are, Different, the, the youngest guy in the Kaizen project is 55. The oldest is 74. Then those guys train better, harder, longer than any of the traditional people because they're building their karate themselves because of the physical or mental awareness. Every Saturday morning at seven o'clock. So I only teach privately. So I build a private dojo on my property. So during the week, Monday through Friday, I just teach privately. And then on Saturday at seven o'clock, the Kaizen project come in, we sit down, everybody in that project is broken. Every one of them, mm. me included, I'm the worst. We're either broken physically or we're broken mentally. Um, I suffer horrendously from PTSD and I have guys that have anxiety disorders. I have people that have depression. We come in on Saturday morning and the first half an hour we sit down and we talk about how our, how our week was. Everybody gets to talk. Everybody gets to say how their week was. And then at eight o'clock, okay, boys, let's go to work. And what I'll do is I'll put a format down, but they're all working on that format within their capabilities, whether it's a high stance or whatever. So you're building the karate for each individual person, yet in a collective uh, environment. So a few years ago, I went out just before COVID hit, I was up in British Columbia and I gave a dissertation to uh, a Shotokan organization out there. Um, Four months ago, I was in Boston. And I gave a dissertation to the, another organization down there. And I was saying, guys, I'm listening to what you're saying. You're, you're talking about kids. Kids pay the rent. We all know that. You know, but most kids are there because the parents are bringing them. I said, there's an entire demographic out there that you guys are not paying attention to. They're older guys. They have disposable income. They have the time. They love the martial arts. They love the, But whether it's a mental problem or it's a physical problem. Our job is when they come in that door is to build something so that they can be proud of it and they can find that they're continuing and their progression. Name something else where a guy 72 is getting better at. 
You're not getting better at hockey. You're not getting better at sex. He's not getting better at painting at 72. But these guys are getting better. Their lifestyles are changing because we're adapting traditional karate for them to continue to train. It, Boys, I got to tell you, it just, I can't tell you how passionate I am about it because every class I go in is different. Everyone is different. We're all looking at this. We're all looking, ah, you know, I got a little tinnitus in here. Okay, cool. Then we'll move this way and we'll move that way. And you build it together. So for me, I've only, I never wanted to be a competitor. I was, was I successful? Yeah, but I wanted to be a teacher. So what better way to become the best teacher I can be than to teach and to adapt? Right on, Sensei. So um, I do want to come back to one major thing you mentioned there. Sure. But before we do your 10 questions, I just want to throw it to you quickly, Sensei Suino, to talk about adapting Iaido as, as needed for some people. Well, uh, just as Sensei Fagan said, uh, uh, a lot of martial arts are tough on the knees. And in Iaido, you have to go down and come back up. And uh, one of the first guys I ever met in Iaido was a guy named... Uh, uh, Joseph Cummings, and he started in Iaido in Japan like 50 years ago, and he got to the age where he couldn't go down anymore, so he did standing Iaido only. And the organization, out of character for them, said, that's fine. We're going to continue to recognize you. Um, now, of course, as a 28-year-old, I thought that that was the stupidest thing I ever heard, but as a 62-year-old with arthritis <laughs> in, my, in my feet, I'm starting to understand the wisdom of having to modify those things a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, Sensei Fagan, yeah. we've hit the time in the show that every guest gets asked the 10 questions. We ask the answer as impulsively as you can and expand as needed. You think that'll be a problem for me? <laughs> <laughs> what is the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? In my particular arsenal? Yep. Are you talking are you talking uh about my, personally? Yes. Are we talking about in the dojo or are we talking about uh, uh, extracurricular activity? However you want to think about it. Okay, so if I'm inside the dojo, uh, one of the reasons why I think I was very successful in competition was the fact that I had no idea what I was doing. So no one could read me. They couldn't read me setting up a reverse punch. They couldn't see me reading up a sweep because I had no idea what I was doing. I was in a reactionary fighter. So to be able to say that there's one technique that, that for me that was better than the others, it wasn't because being a reactionary fighter, your, your competitor will give you what you're looking for. You know, long stance is going to give you that sweep that you're looking for. You know, a lazy, a lazy, uh, a lazy block hand is going to let you attack over the top. A slow reverse punch is going to allow you to sidestep. So I don't think there was, uh, in the competition, I don't think there was one technique that, that to me was better or more effective. Um, it, it depended on my opponent. I, I, I let him make the mistakes. Mm -hmm. In the street, whole new ball game. Hit fast, hit hard. Wait till someone's pulling you off or you hear a siren. Mm -hmm. Who is the most influential martial artist in your life? In my lifetime that, that, I, that I looked at and thought that that, that was pretty cool. Nobody, nobody. I'd be lying to say that I did because first of all, um, I didn't watch a lot of TV or didn't watch a lot of movies. And uh, there was no reference material to be able to look at someone and say, oh, that guy was really cool. Now later on uh, in life, I remember seeing films of uh, Frank Brenner uh, and the Red Triangle Dojo out of, out of Britain, which were just killers from hell. Uh, Terry O'Neill, uh, Frank Brenner, uh, Andy Shearer, these guys were, were, were gods. 
in the eighties and nineties. I mean, they, they taught the Japanese how to fight, uh, you know, and, and first time I got to see international people, those, those are the people that, that influenced me that said, wow, that those guys know what they're doing. I, that's, but that was, you know, later on, probably in the, in the eighties, early nineties, but I can't think of anybody. It like, it wasn't, it wasn't Bruce Lee or, or, or anybody else that I looked at because to me, I was always looking inward. I wasn't looking outward. It wasn't about trying to be as good as somebody else. I was just trying to be as good as I could be. Who do you think is the most influential martial artist of all time and why? All time. I mean, you, you, you gotta, you gotta give props to Bruce Lee. I mean, you know, you're talking about 1972, 73 up to that point. And since legacy, will tell you this, we used to watch John Wayne beat up three or four people with his hat on, never came off. You know what I mean? You'd watch movies, you see the fights. He, his hat never came off. He'd fight one guy at a time. Uh, you know, I remember the old movie with John Wayne, The Quiet Man, one of the best fight scenes and the longest fight scenes ever on film. Uh, but all of a sudden you're seeing this guy who's kicking and punching and he's taking out hordes of people. It, it influenced so, so many people, you know? And whether it was cinematic or whether it wasn't, it was like, well, yeah, dude, I want to figure out how to do that. So, yeah, I mean, he, he was influential to everybody from my generation, mm -hmm. for sure, you know? Yep. Um, what excites you most about the next five years of your training? Oh, shit. I can't wait to get in there because I got every Kaizen class is different. Um, I've got so many projects in the back of my head that that would... I. I I just get so excited because I, I've got so many other things I, I need to do. So many other things I, I want to do. We haven't even touched on some of the aspects I was talking about uh, things that you guys have never heard of and never seen. Not that you haven't been there, but you haven't been down here. Uh, PK Kata, which you've probably never heard of. Giu Kata, which you've never heard of. Uh, I mean, you see that once and you go, God damn, I want to do that. I had the world Okinawan champion here, followed by the name of Chip Quimby, Charles Quimby out of, of, uh, out of Peabody, Mass. Boys, this guy's a weighty guy. If you can get him on your program, get him. He has got the tools. And, uh, you know, he, he was the first Caucasian to win Kata in the World Okinawan Championships three years ago. That, that's some skills. And he came up and tried the, this, the geo cutter that I was talking about and uh, fell down on a number of occasions. And this guy's the world champion. He's going, I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, yes, you can. I'll show you. You know, so someday we're going to get in the same floor, boys. You're going to love it. It's the coolest thing you've ever done in your life. And you Anyway, so go ahead. Uh, <laughs> uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get there? You fucked up, mister. <laughs> I don't know what you were doing, but you, you know what you cared about. You, you, to me, there's three things in life. You have to, there's human, human obligation. There's obligation to your work. There's obligation to your family, but there's obligation to you. And I think when I go, when we're, first of all, I'm going down. I'm not going up. All the great fighters, all the great martial artists are going to heaven. All the referees are going to hell. We're going to win. We got the referees. So, you know what, if they, if they, if they say anything to me, it's going to be that, that hopefully I made a difference. I made a difference in people's lives, positive, not about anything that I've done, but, but be positive and try to, to uh, that's that human obligation. And I think as, as senseis, we have that human obligation. The kid has got snot in his nose and holes in his pants and he can't afford to go get in line, son, I'll take care of you. 
You know, I can't train. I, I lost my, my eyesight when I was younger. Get in line, son. We'll have someone run beside you. You know, now I'm 75 years old. I've gone through cancer. I'm pretty much done. Can you stand? Can you think? Can you talk? Get in line. That's my job. Get them on. You come in the door. I'll keep them there. God comes in my door. I'll keep them there. It's going to take him a while to get a belt, but he can come. <laughs> um, you, you touched on this earlier. Do you have a favorite film and television martial artist? Uh, in film? Yeah, there was a movie years ago that was called The Challenge. Uh, probably not on anybody else's radar, but Scott Glenn, who went on to, you know, in Silverado and a lot of other movies. Oh, speaking of which, John Wick tomorrow. I can't breathe. I'm going tomorrow morning at seven. John Wick. Um, anyway, <laughs> there was a movie called The Challenge. And one of the things that I liked about this movie at the time, it took place in Japan, was that the, 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 the hero at the time knew nothing about the martial arts. And it was about Iaido. Um, you know, sword and, and it was really, really cool. So at the end, I think what I liked about it the most was, you know, of course, three quarters of the way through the movie, he has an epiphany and, ah, oh, yeah, this is going to be really cool. And, and I'm thinking to myself, if he, if he, if, if he and the protagonist or the bad guy go one-on-one -on -one and he beats the bad guy in a sword fight after training for three weeks, and this guy is supposed to be in the idol, I'm going to lose all credibility. But he didn't. He fought. He picked shit up off the table and he threw it in the guy's face. He ran. He hid. He pushed up down. And that's how he defeated the guy. He frustrated him. And I love that. And I took that to heart to go, you know what? I may not be the fastest. I may not be the strongest. I may not be the toughest. But you know what? If I can't overthink that motherfucker, I'm in the wrong business. So that, that's how influence, that influential that movie was to me. He won, but he won by improvising. He won by running and ducking and hiding and, and uh, you know, taking cheap shots, just like any good bartender. Um, <laughs> do you have a martial artist living or dead in all of history who you'd like to train with the most? Oh, God. You know what? Not... You know, there was guys, there was a guy in, in the States, his name was Frank Brenner, or not so Frank Brenner, Frank Smith, the head of my Gary. I, front kick was one of my favorite things to do. This guy had a front kick that he, I mean, he launched people with it. Uh, Frank Smith out of the United States. Uh, Stan Schmidt out of South Africa was, was somebody that I looked up to because he taught all colors, you know, was arrested a number of times because of apartheid, but didn't care. It was the martial art. It wasn't the color of your skin. Um, you know, uh, those type of people, the guys in the Red Triangle Club in, in Britain were, were mentors. But to tell you the truth, I haven't met the guy yet. Right. Because he could walk into my door tomorrow and be the guy, you know, could be the guy. I, I, I'm, I, it's the people that are around now that, that interest me, not, not the, the past. It's the, the people who walk into my door tomorrow. So the, that could be someone that walks in tomorrow that he's the guy not the guy from 30 years ago. Um, if everyone in the world could have the greatest benefit you've gotten from martial arts, whether they train or not, what benefit would they get? A voice. Mm. A voice. I had no voice. Yeah. I had no voice being, you know, I had a loving, loving family. They were supportive of me. All everybody has been so supportive in every, everything that I did, every endeavor that I did. But as I said, uh, alluded to earlier, you know, mm -hmm. I was painfully shy. I just was painfully shy. 
and, and what karate gave me, it didn't give me punches, didn't give me kicks, didn't give me stances, it didn't give me notoriety, it gave me a voice. You know, coming from somebody who couldn't go to birthday parties um, and, you know, standing in front of five, six, seven hundred people giving a dissertation on karate or, or things, that it gave me, it gave me a voice. Years ago, I was a member of something called Team Victory, and it was professional athletes that talked to students and kids about uh, making it to the top of your field without drugs, without alcohol, and it was a pretty heavy-duty panel. Dave Winfield uh, from the New York Yankees was on there. Uh, myself, uh, there was a couple of NBA, NBA players. There was, uh, uh, you know, professional foot, and it, it was a voice. I was sitting outside on a lawn, and a guy came out. Was a boxer. Said, "Excuse me, you're on Fagan Arch." And I said, "Yeah, I am." I drove some kids there from the school, and he said, "One of our speakers didn't show up." He said, "Is there any chance you could come in and 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 maybe open this thing up and talk to people about karate and drugs or alcohol?" I went, "You got a T-shirt? Yep, give it to me." You know, I walked out 15 minutes later, I had a standing ovation. And the next thing you know, I had a career in talking to kids, mm. motivation, it, which was insane, you know, from someone who wouldn't go to a birthday party because I was afraid to have to talk to somebody. So it gave me a voice. Greatest achievement, greatest regret. Greatest achievement hasn't come yet. Greatest regret. Um. <laughs> Not being able to brush my hair in the morning. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what? We have regrets in everything that we do, but you know what? It brought us to who we are and what we are now. So, you know, there are things that I wished I, I you know, on, on hindsight, especially with the, the mental disease that I have, there are probably a few security jobs that that put bricks in that wall that maybe I shouldn't have taken that, that led to my, uh, you know, my, my disability now. But uh, regrets, no, I don't have any regrets because it, it, it made me who I am, good, bad, or ugly. Right on. Um, so that's your 10 questions. We have a comment here from Mark Adams. Hello, I've been a student with Sensei Fagan for the last two years. This is a comment, not a question. He's really helped with my mental illness and his teachings have made a world of difference to me. Tell him I really enjoy cooking for him because he's been so good to me. So nice. Um, so let's talk about that. You know, you mentioned PTSD. You mentioned yeah. mental illness. That's something that hasn't come up a ton on this show. What do you, where do you want to go with that? What, well, what is I'll your tell experience you, well, and how do you yeah, help others? I've, I've never, I've never hidden my illness. Once I decided, once I realized that, that I was sick because for years I hid it. Um, I tried to fill every waking minute, every waking hour uh, with something to do to try to hide it to, 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 you know, and then it just got, it got too much. It, it I, I realized that I'm sick. And uh, I have to do something. I, I have to get better. I have to get better because I want to continue to train. Um, and I can't train, um, you know, until I come to terms with this. And, uh, you know, as I said, I lied to people. Man. I lied to people. I told people I was going to Toronto to train at a, you know, I'd be going, oh, I'm going to Soroka Sensei's for the next week to train. And I was some shithole down in Nicaragua working. You know, and and I lied to people. I lied to my family. I lied to people who I love. I lied to everybody um, because this is how I made a living. You know, I got off on I got off on it. I, it was I was a junkie. Uh, you know, and not realizing, you know, being a young guy, and, and uh, you know, it came back. It came back to to bite my ass, bad, 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 and didn't know what it was. And when I realized what it was, um, 
and then I said, okay, I can, I can hide this or I can bring it out in the open. So I had a, a huge dojo. Um, you know, we were around 180 students. I sold the building. I went to a much smaller and I told the people, I cherry picked 20 people to come with me. And I said, you know, for the last 45 years, it's been about you guys. Now it's about me. I'm sick and I got to get better. And if you want to come with me for the drive, perfect. Let's go. So what I do is I don't, I don't hide it. I've never hit it. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's an insidious disease. I, I never know when it's, uh, you know, I, for, you have to learn about, you have to learn about triggers. You have to learn about, uh, you know, to watch out for your triggers. Uh, my lifestyle has completely changed. My TV doesn't go on after two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm a voracious reader. I read constantly. I walk. I train three hours every morning, eight to 11, every day. I never miss. You know, I do kata and I work the bag for an hour. I weight train for an hour, then I walk for an hour. And it's for my mental capabilities. The better physical condition I'm in, the better I can handle my mental uh, my mental problems. So with the with the Kaizen project, there are people who come there because they have problems. Okay, we'll share it. Let's share it. What's up? And then we'll work through it together. Um, so the, having having that particular mental disease is 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 making me stronger. Um, I know eventually there's there's a real good chance that that it's gonna it could end my life at any time, and I know that I've accepted it and I keep moving. Do I look like I'm sad about it? No. I keep moving, you know, and anybody around me that wants to talk about it, let's talk about it. You know, I did it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to shift the blame on anybody. Oh, poor me. I've got the mental disease, but you know what, when you got a crack in, the, you break your finger, you got six weeks, you got a crack in the bread pan. It's a, it's a whole new ball game, but I'll tell you something else. This is really cool. I'm just, I'm really proud of this. One of my students is a rock and roll guy down here. He's probably got a, half a dozen albums out, if not more. He's a, he's a blues guy. Um, I wrote a song with him over the last six months. They had a producer came down, put his new album together two weeks ago. Um, they introduced this song about, uh, about my mental problem. And uh, the producer listened to the words. They listened to the music, not the finished product, because he was down there to finish the project. And he came out and met me. He said, uh, you're the catalyst for that song. I said, I am me. And you know, 10,000 other guys in this province and hundreds of thousands around this country. He said, dude, that's an anthem. He said, we're going to take that off that album. And we're going to make it a single. And he said, um, are you sure you want to do this? The first time I heard the song, I couldn't listen to it. It was an open wound. I, I didn't know what to do. I just, I, I, it, I was a shock because I'm sitting here and I'm going, not too much throws me off. But all of a sudden when I, I heard my words, on music with a guitar and piano it, it was surreal to me and one person hears that song and says you know what this guy's supposed to be a badass and he, he he's he's out front with it then maybe other people will so you're talking about accomplishments right now it's night train it's the night train coming and <laughs> when the night train comes it ain't good but you know what it's there i'm gonna ride it until i can't ride it anymore so someday you guys will hear this song Night Train and think of me because it's my life. It's what I do now. So anytime I'm talking to anybody, let's sit down, let's talk about it. And you know what? We'll make it better by training. It may not be a cure, but it but it's going to help you get through the shit that you're dealing with. And and I'm the poster boy for it. I really appreciate that. And and I can relate on a different on a level, I can relate. Um if I may be so bold, when yep. you say it could end you, do you mean that? you'd unalive yourself as a result of where you go with that or, or I think what happens is, is that what well, could happen? 
Well, what happens is the reality is this, anyone that suffers um, from this particular disease, um, alcohol, drugs, uh, or suicide, that's where you're going. That, that's what happens. And that's the reality of it. If you look at the statistics across this country, every day, man, there's three people, at least three a day, that just can't take it anymore. Um, and I get that. I get it and I understand it. A, drinking, I'm no drinker. I, I, I suck. I'm bad at it. You know, um, I can be an asshole with low drink. I don't need booze. Um, you know, so alcohol is not, not a problem. Uh, drugs. I've never, that, that's just, that, that is drugs have never been in my life. I have no room for them. I can't train that. So that, that leaves self-harm and self-harm is a real, real thing that's out there. But for me, I'll ride through that because I, I got an orange belt coming in tomorrow that needs me. Yeah. I got white belts that are coming next week for the first time. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to revamp Kung Show for this guy. I got to be around and I can't go anywhere. So, you know, the martial arts and, and the, the training and being with you guys, being with you guys and just being open and saying, look, this is what it is. We all train. We all got problems, but we train to, to try to ride through those things. I just got a crack in the bread pan. Am I going to get better? No. Am I gonna am I gonna get cured? No, I'm not. But I'm gonna live the best life I can as long as I can. You know? Injured but still training. Yeah, in spite of it. In spite of it. You know? Well, I appreciate that. And, and you you know, we really appreciate that candor. And hopefully somebody listening or watching who might not be willing to be open about a struggle they're having, even if it's not that. Uh, hopefully they'll take, yeah, maybe raising my hand and saying out loud what's going on with me could be an answer. And if anybody contacts you, if anyone ever contacts you guys about it, you give them my address. You let them call me. You know what? Anxiety is the future. Depression is the past. We got we got to train right now. <laughs> we got to train today. You know, we got to keep going. So, um, you know, and, and maybe that's my new cause. Maybe that's my new cause uh, to go along with the Kaizen project because it certainly is part of the project. Well. I love that. I love what you just said too. I, 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 I get through my days with the uh, anxiety, future, depression past myself. So one day at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And we're in it together. We're the tribe. We're the tribe. We tell each other what we need to know, not what you want to hear, you know? And if you're the toughest guy in your tribe, go find another tribe. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sensei Fagan, if you've watched, you know that the way we end our show and when Sensei Dolphin said this is going to fly by, it's a joke how fast this conversation's gone. Um, but we go around the horn. So Hanchi Legacy, Sensei Suino, Sensei Dolphin and I will say a little something about our time with you. And then the last word will go to you before we do housekeeping. So cool. Hanchi Legacy, what do you want to say about our time with Sensei Fagan? Oh, I love it. I'm from Northern New Brunswick, right? So I, I sort of know the type of lifestyle that you live over there. Yeah. And um, we came from the same era, so I, I sort of felt the same as you did about a lot of things. Um, it's good to hear that if some persons need your help in, in certain areas that people like myself, for instance, are not so acquainted with, that they could call you. So I, th I think you've reached your goal of... Uh, or still working on your goal of being a teacher. Thank and you. We appreciate you being with us tonight. Thank you.
and coming from you, that means a hell of a lot. I can tell you that, you know, and I appreciate it. And that, that those words are not false, you know, for you. And it's, it's just been a pleasure and an honor. And someday we'll share the floor. Well, I'm just going to say that, uh, and maybe two or three months I'll be in New Brunswick. So maybe we can contact there and meet halfway or something. You know what? I, I, I would love nothing better. You have my contact information. You do it. And as far as New Brunswick's concerned, it, it'll be nice when it's finished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Um, Sensei Suino. Well, I love this conversation. Sensei Fagan, your energy is amazing. Uh, absolutely love it. Um, it actually gave me a ton of stuff to think about. So, uh, uh, I know Randy kind of does a recap, so I'm not going to go to, through everything, but um, I'm going to think more about training everybody as a future teacher and how that leverages the ability to really get into detail with them, because I don't think I've ever thought about it consciously that way. I'm going to do a lot of thinking about the IBST program. I'm really interested in what I can do to serve my community that way. Um, and it almost never happens that someone is able to talk to me about a, an EIDO resource that I was not aware of before. But until tonight, I had never heard of that Scott Glenn movie. And uh, before 24 hours elapses, I will have watched that movie. So thank you so much for letting me uh, know about Challenge. The challenge. Love it. Cool. Thanks, Sensei Sweeto. Sensei Dolphin? Uh, Sensei Fagan, this, I knew, like, I knew from the time we talked on the telephone that this was going to be a treat. Um, so I write down a bunch of stuff. I really liked that you talked about your first tournament and what you talked about wasn't being overwhelmed by the fighting. And I think it was being overwhelmed by all the other things outside of <laughs> walking into the ring, all the people around what was happening. Um, yeah, I think most people would have been anxious about, Oh, I got to go in there and fight some other person, but that wasn't bugging you at all. Um, when people say you still train, you still that, and you just said, it's not what I do, it's who I am. We all can relate to that. It's not what we do, it's now who we are. And I really like that. I'm gonna rip this off from you. You know, do you still train? I'm gonna say, do you still breathe? <laughs> and I'm gonna say, you, that's a quote from Sensei Fagan. So uh, I really liked, uh, you know, $20 gets you three months and you get to train in that suit. I wanted that suit. I wanted that suit. I love it. And well, we joke about it. Um, we you joked about it that you know you farted in the dojo, but all the stuff that you talked about that surrounded that is very very true about martial arts. About that honesty and owning up in the dojo and having to own up. And then if you're a person who lives in the dojo because that's who you are, then you just become honest everywhere you are because you're always in the dojo, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, there was no other belt than the one that you were looking for. Um, friends are going to tell you what you they want or what you want to hear. Uh, or sorry, friends are going to tell you what um, they want you to hear, but your tribe is going to tell you what you need to hear. That's that's why I think we like all these people is because I'm not going to bullshit Sean or Sensei Legacy or Sensei Suino. They're going to tell me exactly what I need to hear, right? Whether I want to hear it or not. I like your mantra, right? All your students got to be better than you at all the ranks and that uh, you never let a mistake go by and you teach them to be a teacher. Like since Sino said, I think that's a great idea. I like that uh, injured, but still training and how you've evolved that to the Kaizen project. I think 
a lot of people should do that. A lot of quality martial artists out there who could do something like that. You're leading the way with that. And that's, that's a really good thing. Um, you're one of the first people who said to us, normally we're saying to the person, we want to get together with you and train. You're the first one on this show who's come on and said, mm-hmm. we're going to get on the floor together. I love that. I can't wait. I believe you. Uh, me, me, I'm serious, dudes. I, listen, I'll get on a plane tomorrow. We got to get, we got to get on the floor together. We yeah. got to share. And I'll tell you, you got my address. You got my, you just let me know. I'll, I, I'll be there in a heartbeat. You know, I just, I love the energy that you guys put out and, uh, you know, I don't think there'd be anything more fun than just getting on the floor and sharing. We're, we're going to do it. The other thing I like you said is, you know, you can't breathe, get in line. You can't <laughs> walk, get in line. You can't see, get in line. You're too old, just get in line. That's the answer, right? Like, just get to the dojo and get in line. Um, your most effective move. I know another person on this call who's a reactionary fighter. And uh, I think that actually is something that, only certain people will understand, but um, but I think that's really cool that your most effective move is being a reactionary fighter. Uh, Bruce Lee, I'd say Sense of Legacy, and in addition to Sense of Legacy, at least 50 to 60% of the people on here say he is the most influential of all time. Your energy, as Sensusfino said, with the Kaizen project and everything, yeah. Um, God, you made a difference in people's life benefit a voice um and honestly sensei you know you're you're saying people can reach out to you but you know you got a tribe too right like you could reach out to any one of us if you're having that dark moment and you need somebody to talk to there's lots of phone numbers i would always answer the call i know sense of Sweden and sense of legacy and sean would as well you definitely don't have to go through that shit alone you might have had to experience it alone but you don't gotta finish it alone and uh, thanks so much for being so brave and talking about it. I'm you know really what? Have John. And and thank you for giving me the the the, the format or, or the platform to be able to do that because it's as much of my life now as as everything else. Um, I will ask you guys if you if you if when you're off the air if you want to send me your your material. I'd love to sit and chat more. Um, I could talk all day about about you know one of the things that bothers me when you look on the internet which i don't very often it's always about look what i can do look what i can do look at me no one's ever on there saying look what you can do this is what you can do but that's what you guys are doing you guys are doing that i can't it really bothers me most of the people i talk to they talk about you know the history i don't want to talk i want to talk about what are you doing now what are you developing what's happening what are you going? And there's a lot of other things that are that are on my plate that I'd love to share with you guys. So uh, again, let me thank you guys for giving me the platform. Uh, it's been my honor and my privilege. And those aren't those aren't empty words, boys. I mean it. I mean it. You know, because I'm just this guy training in the province, hanging out at the end of Canada. But if you ever come down here, you're welcome. I have guests here on a regular basis from around the world. My dojo is on my property. You have a place to stay. You have a place to train. I know where the best donairs in the town are. And we got cold beer. So if any of you, any of you decide that you want to take a road trip, you come down here. Please, please let me host you. Absolutely. Um, Sensei, I'm just going to add. You know, I got sober years ago and I was talking about that before the show and during the show that 
I wouldn't have got home from this city if it weren't for my martial arts uh, that got me through those times in the sobriety. And, and I live openly one day at a time. And, and I offer the exact same thing to everybody on this planet. If you're struggling with this, hit me up. If I can't help you, I'll find someone who can. And, you know, I can just relate on a very deep level to having something inside you that wants to kill you. And yeah. uh, it, it literally has one goal, get you alone and kill you. And uh, so my, you know, I, I imagine we share some similar solutions and ways of connecting with other people and speaking out loud about it. And uh, so on a real deep level, look, I love martial arts, but I love being alive more. And uh, so the fact that, you know, being sober one day at a time helps my martial arts and vice versa. It's uh, it's a treat to connect with you on that level, even though I don't wish it on anyone. Yeah. But you know what, dude, it's on your face. You're a fighter. I'm a fighter, whether it's been in the road, whether it's in the dojo, it's in competition. If I'm going down, I'm going down swinging. Mm. Well, I'm going to throw it to Sensei Dolphin to tell us what's coming up. Next Thursday, we're talking to Sensei Gary Hales. Super excited to be talking to Sensei Hales. Um, luckily, he came to the tournament. He wasn't sure that he wanted to do this with us. Um, and he said the reason why he said he wasn't sure he wanted to do it was because he really likes the show and he, he echoed what Sensei Fagan said. He thinks what we're doing is really good and he didn't want to be a person who brought it down. And Sensei Legacy and I just talked to him and said, like, that's an impossibility that yeah. a guy like Sensei Gary Hales is going to bring down the quality of our show. It's going to be outstanding. Uh, we also have uh, Sensei Scott Taylor, really, really good jiu-jitsu practitioner who's going to be coming on soon. Um, trained with him a lot. Really nice guy. Fun guy, really skilled. Um, good friend of Chris Henson's who's been on the show. That's what we got coming up. Nice. nice. Thanks, Sensei. And then I just want to say thank you to Andre Sedeshev, who ran our show behind the scenes tonight. Robert Schlumsky, Justin Shea, Alden Adair, Mike Russell, Jesse Blavita, and Dan Holland III. We don't have a show without them. And, uh, and again, I'm sorry about the video, everybody. That is life. That's a benefit of traveling. And I always think about my mom trying to call Germany in the 1980s. It was worse <laughs> than this. So, hey, even on a bad night, we're doing better than, uh, than those who came before us. So thanks for bearing with us, everybody. We love having you here. We're so grateful. And we'll see you in a week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, thanks everybody. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, everybody. Be safe. Thanks, Sensei.